Hello and welcome to Newsfeed, our podcast about the intersection of technology, politics, and the media. I'm Ben Smith, the editor-in-chief of BuzzFeed. And in this week's episode, I'm talking to the mayor of the city of New York, Bill de Blasio, who took office having pretty much ignored and in some ways defeated the city's fierce tabloid press and is now essentially at war with the New York City media in a way that is a kind of progressive mirror image in some ways of what's happening on the national stage. And I was interested in talking to him about his uh, his most famous constituent, Donald Trump, and, and about you know kind of what it means to be a progressive and have as bad a relationship with the media as he does. And what we're going to play for you here is a live recording of my conversation with Mayor de Blasio on stage at the Northside Festival in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Wow, seems like a, I must you. have a lot of fans in my podcast. Yeah, so, it's um, just massive fan So thank you for band. joining us. Thank you all for joining us. Um, I actually want to start with, I, when we're going to be talking about um, Mayor de Blasio's kind of seamless love fest with the media, but I actually, as a member of the media, wanted to start with an apology, which is that I realize you, I think the last time I interviewed you, you came by BuzzFeed in the summer of 13, when you were on your way to election, and we asked you like 17 questions in a row about Anthony Weiner. Um, so sorry about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was that week that it seemed like he would win. It um, didn't play out the way you assumed, Ben. <laughs> there have been bigger surprises yeah. since. I actually wanted to start by asking you about your media diet. You have a lot of opinions about media. How do you consume media? Uh, what, do you do? What, do you, what do you read in the morning? How do you read it? I read a lot of different things. So I think like a lot of mayors around the country, I get clips sent to me from my staff on anything pertinent to the work we're doing and then a lot of what's happening in the nation and the world. So I'm just reading that from the time I wake up all through the morning, all through the day. Are these like stapled printouts? Is this no, it's phone? just to, the, to my Blackberry and just constantly... Blackberry? Yes, sir. <laughs> really? Proud of it. I'm like, I'm out and proud. I have a Blackberry, okay? Wow. Um, so I have a flip phone too and it's... To all of you who have iPhones and can't hear anything on them, I'm very proud of my flip phone. So, uh, the, so it's, it's everything. You know, it's all forms of local media, uh, broadcast, print, obviously TV, radio, everything. And then, uh, depending on what's going on at any given moment, some Washington Post thrown in and other things from around the country. And then I tend to, as part of my well-known morning routine, I tend to watch MSNBC and CNN. Is it, this is on the treadmill? This is on the, the exercise bike, yes. The exercise bike, in Park uh, Slope. In Park Slope at the Park Slope Y. Do they have, like, especially great bikes there? They have pretty good bikes. I'm pretty is happy that, about is, my, my Y bike experience. Is that really the reason in the end that you go there? I go there because it's my neighborhood. Right. Okay. Got it. Um, the uh, The... You, you gave an interview, you talked to Brian Lehrer this morning, you've been talking actually a lot about, about your gym routine, um, but actually I think in the context of a, your, your critique of the media, which is the, I think you said this morning that, that uh, these are the, the smallest matters become what people want to talk about, that these are small, thrown-off, symbolic things. I mean, isn't politics basically about symbolism in a lot of ways? I mean, isn't your job to, in part, lead through, through projecting kind of, a kind of you know, what, what you want people to see? I think that so a huge topic. Let me let me start on it. I mean, you could you could have a. I actually serious... I was planning the gym stuff for the end, but you just kind of went there. Yeah, sorry, I did that to you. Uh, on the question of 
what I actually think not only should we focus on, but what do most people want to focus on. I want to reference the election that just happened. Um, as unhappy as a lot of us are what happened on November 8th, I really urge people to constantly think about November 7th and everything before it. Because that's actually where we saw what's happening in our country playing out, and it actually showed us, in my opinion, the shape of things to come. And I say that not for philosophical reasons, to answer your question. You saw incredible emotion on issues raised, particularly on the Democratic side, around you know people having wages that were too low and having working hours that were too long and their families weren't getting ahead and college debt was too high. And you go down a list of things. These were really meaty, substantive things and they dominated the discussion. There was no lack of emotion, no lack of symbolic power in talking about the things that really affected people's lives. And I hate to say it, and I've said it before, um, on the flip side, Donald Trump uh, keyed into the extreme emotional uh, frustration that people felt in many parts of the country because of their economic situation. And if you look particularly at the two-minute ad he did the night before the election, which was painfully effective in my view, it was very emotional, but it was all about people's economic realities. I don't think the average New Yorker or the average American uh, cares about my gym routine or any other elected official's gym routine. I think there's a group of insiders who do and sort of junkies of political news who do, but I actually think that's not the audience the media should be concerned with if they want to be relevant. If media wants to stay relevant in a much more dynamic uh, media environment in a much more competitive and, and ever-changing media environment, you actually speak to people's lives. So the fascinating thing is I do town hall meetings. I was in Queens last night, uh, hundreds of people, three hours, and then I was on Brian Lehrer uh, this morning where anyone can call with anything, and it's almost always the same. People want to talk about, it's, it's so clear, they want to talk about the quality of their kids' schools and what their kids need. They want to talk about jobs and how they make ends meet. They want to talk about the fact they can't afford the rent uh, or the, the cost of living is too high. And you go down these lists of very emotional, very real concerns, and then a lot of stuff about, like, folks want bike lanes or maybe people disagree with bike lanes, but they care about the things that are right in their neighborhood, right in their lives. And, the, and bluntly, a lot of the media in this town spends a disproportionate time on all sorts of other things that are not the things affecting people's lives. And it should not surprise a lot of people in the media that instead of the sort of clickbait dynamic, which I think has become the dominant thought, that's actually the, the clickbait-oriented sort of live for today, write a story, the story gets a lot of clicks, actually cuts against a smart long-term strategy of showing your readers and viewers something that affects their lives and that speaks to their lives. And that's what last year was about, too. Campaigns that speaks to people's lives, media that speaks to people's lives, are what ultimately will win the day. Do you feel like, I mean, it sounds like you're saying that, I mean, that there's this sort of language of emotion and symbolism that Donald Trump did speak, if, if not of substance, yeah. right? But that you would like to, in some sense, opt out of that? and just in, in No, I was actually pulling the other way and saying, I think you can, and I, I, I certainly disagree with almost every single thing that Donald Trump has ever said or done. Uh, let me just, there's my, there's my asterisk disclaimer. You can still say that and note that very sadly from my point of view, he understood uh, in a very cynical way people's economic distress and spoke to it disingenuously. You know, he said, drain the swamp and everything, and then of course named a cabinet of millionaires and billionaires, for example. Yeah, it was cynical, but it was 
emotionally pertinent and substantively pertinent to the issues affecting people's lives. There's no reason you can't be substantive and emotionally compelling. I look at the 2013 campaign, I'm very proud of this fact. Uh, when I said we had to uh, you know, end the unconstitutional use of stop and frisk, a lot of people in this city, hundreds of thousands of people, felt that very humanly, very personally, and wanted a change in policing. When I talked about pre-K for all the children, hundreds of thousands of people felt that personally and emotionally. It was not cheap symbolism. It was substance. But you can present substance in a way that still keys into people's hearts. And I think what's happening in the current media dynamic is the, the thing that fascinates a lot of the mainstream media is not the substance, is not the big picture thing that's affecting tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people. It's the spectacular or the scandalous or the flavor of the moment. And I just don't think that's going to work for the long term. I think that's the old way. I don't think it's going to work in the long term. I mean, you, you have been a politician in this town for a long time, effective one. You were a great source to reporters. As public advocate, you took advantage of, I think, a lot of the dynamics that you're now in some ways deploring. And and, oper and it came up in this world. And it seems to me there was, I guess, in a way, I, I feel like I'm surprised you're surprised. Oh, I'm not surprised. That you're being treated really the way every mayor has been no, in no, terms of dealing with a very appropriately, maybe adversarial city hall press corps. Who said I was surprised? I'm not surprised. I'm saying the disconnect is very, very striking to me because now I'm living the whole equation. Now, you're right. When I was public advocate, I raised a lot of criticisms of the Bloomberg administration. I would argue they were overwhelmingly substantive. Sometimes there were personal elements to it, but overwhelmingly substantive. But what I'm saying to you is not that it is a surprise. I'm saying it is becoming irrelevant to focus on, I'll give you, you know, the example from uh, this last couple of weeks. You know, to, for so many column inches and so many minutes of airtime to be about who's marching in the Puerto Rican parade and almost no attention on the plight of three and a half million people in Puerto Rico who are suffering right now from a health crisis, an economic crisis, a Zika crisis. It makes, it makes no sense, and I, I keep, it doesn't make sense even in cynical, you know, um, marketing terms or whatever phrase you want to use. There's 700,000 people of Puerto Rican descent in this city who care very, very deeply about what happens in their homeland. They have gotten very little information about that from the mainstream media here in this town. They've gotten this obsessive focus on a parade and the cast characters of the parade. I said the other day, a parade is not a real thing. It's like a symbolic event that happens for a few hours. Uh, a healthcare crisis is a real thing. And so it's backwards. It's not surprising, Ben. It's arcane. It's arcane. The tabloid style of journalism of yesterday does not make sense anymore. And it will not last. That's what I feel. I think, you know, I'm, it's hard to argue with the substance of healthcare being more important than, than who marches in a parade. I think as a journalist, and I think I suspect my sort of former colleagues in the City Hall Press Corps feel, you're a powerful government official, and maybe you shouldn't be the assignment editor. Like maybe you and Donald Trump shouldn't be the ones telling journalists what to report. Oh, 110 percent, except for one problem. I shouldn't be the assignment editor at all, and you should hold my feet to the fire. And by the way, there's been times, I've said it, I am frustrated by the state of our media, but I will also happily credit when the media brings out something that needed attention. I, I have... I will say as a disclaimer, I'm very disappointed in the New York Times that they have greatly reduced their focus on New York City news. And you feel I think like they've been abdicated a responsibility there? I do. 
And I think they really have to understand that that's hurt the civic discourse in New York City. But that being said, a great example of when I think media um, not allowing the elected officials to be the assignment editor is a great, a great thing. The early stories, when we came into office, it was sort of end of Bloomberg, beginning of my time, on Rikers Island and on the problems of Rikers Island by a couple of New York Times reporters, really helped focus attention, including inside the government, where bluntly, a lot of us didn't have a lot of history on Rikers Island corrections issues, and it was a very good thing. That still happens sometimes. But what happens too much of the time is rather than saying, hey, let's go at the big, meaty things that really affects li lives and get under the skin of it and challenge all types of power centers. By the way, corporate media often doesn't challenge corporate power structures. And this is another thing I find more than contradictory. If you're going to challenge elected officials, God bless you. Go challenge the corporations that are dictating the rules of so much of our lives at the same time. Go challenge Wall Street. Go challenge the real powers that be. And it doesn't happen enough. Um, are you talking specifically about Mort Zuckerman and, and Rupert Murdoch there? Of course. Um, I mean, at the, you know, Rupert Murdoch is a right-wing media baron who is consistently trying to undermine progressive governments and progressive movements all over the world. It is a purely ideological enterprise driven by vast amounts of money to keep a bad status quo in place and, in fact, to make it worse. It's not. Anyone who thinks that's objective journalism is kidding themselves. The Daily News, I will give them credit for uh, more balance. It's still corporate media owned by a major real estate baron. Do you think the, um, you know, the British, just to take a little side note on Murdoch, the British government is considering turning over, a major, allowing him to increase his control of a major cable operator, considering the kinds of things you just mentioned, think they, think they should permit him to? No, of course not. It's, it's, there's already a dangerous level of concentration of media ownership right this moment. It has to be reversed. Look, thank God that because of social media, there are countervailing voices and more and more people. This is the big, big story, and I give you credit and everyone at BuzzFeed and a lot of other places that are uh, creating alternatives. I, here's what I find all the time. I can't tell you how many people in this city have abandoned the mainstream media in various ways and are getting their information a lot of different places or at least not taking the mainstream media's word for it and counterbalancing, checking information with a lot of other sources as well. We actually need... Uh, to undermine the mega concentration of media ownership in the hands of a few. That few invariably will be right-wing corporate people who want to create an even more unequal society. So the answer is to diffuse and open up the media, make it more small d democratic, give people more and more options and more and more competition and choice. Um, but no, of course, you know, a Rupert Murdoch has spent his life trying to undermine the democratic process. We can't let him do it. So what you just said, the, both the kind of broad theory of media and, and specifically the notion of media concentration is an issue, at another time in American history seems like a really interesting argument. Today, it seems like, wow, that sounds a lot like what Donald Trump says. And I wonder if you, in both in terms of, you know, we got to like weaken these powerful, centralized corporate media, whether it's NBC or the New York Times. We've got to create a new round of kind of, and you know, he has a different, obviously, view of who they ought to be, these new newcomers. But I wonder, like, if you, because I think I do understand the critique, and, and I know that it's long-running and predates this election. Uh, Has it kind of given you any pause to find your, to hear your words in Donald Trump's mouth? To no. sort of see that you... I'll tell you why. Kind of, in some ways, you know, have the same enemies? I appreciate the question. It's an honest question. It is more than reductionist, with all due respect. What I'm saying, you just gave away a little bit in your question. 
What I'm saying I felt 20 and 30 years ago, and a lot of people in this city and in this country felt 20 and 30 years ago, that um, it's not surprising. Look, media is based on the inequities of the capitalist system. Let's be clear. Wealthy people own the media. That's not a good starting place. It's not a good starting place. What works better? Public radio, public television, um, you know, progressive outlets that are free and independent. Um, there are some examples of outlets owned by individuals that have been given you know, extraordinary freedom to explore tough issues, including the contradictions of the corporate world. But by and large, the problem with the whole construct is it's based on selling something, and it's based on ownership by wealthy individuals. That doesn't make sense anymore in today's world. We've actually, thank God, we've reached a point of transparency and openness where that contradiction comes to the fore. So no, Ben, I felt this a long, long time ago. Donald Trump doesn't actually mean it. Here's what, we have to be honest about, Donald Trump spouts fake populism all day long and gets away with it. He is part of the problem. He's a, he's, you, you, may, you decide, is he a millionaire or a billionaire? I don't care, either way he's part of the problem. He's part of the same class that created this reality. He's chummy with all these people. So when he rails against the media, it's to fake appeal, it's, a, it's just a cynical ploy to appeal to a right-wing base they may honestly feel it. I don't think he feels it any more than I think he feels a lot of the things he said in the campaign. But the bottom line is, a lot of us felt a long time ago the media ownership trajectory was dangerous to the democratic process. Um, to, to, to bring it to like a much more local issue, the subways, it would, would be unforgivable if I didn't bring that up. Have you, have you, actually, I should ask you first, did you see that video of the F train? I have, I have not seen the video. I fully understand it, having spent a lot of my life on the F train, but I get how no, bad no, it was. No, no, you've got to see the video. But I, I, will, I look I forward to it. To it. Um, but one of the things that I thought as somebody who grew up in New York City politics was, you know, you spent a lot of last week being hit by the local press for where you go to the gym, then being, having arguments with them about it, and it seemed like you probably should have spent last week like beating the shit out of Governor Cuomo on the front page of the tabloids. Like... And that is a choice, right? Like, why, why not? I mean, maybe you disagree with their theory of meteor ownership, and that's reasonable, but, like, it seems like you're missing opportunities to get things done. I think uh, there's plenty of times where I've challenged the governor, and there's lots of times when I've challenged the president, and I will always do that. Uh, this one, I believe that the day the governor took responsibility, even though it was after some fits and starts, he took responsibility for the MTA, and for a particular problem that's emerged in the last couple of months, uh, I thought that was very important. And I think it's fair to say, okay, good, you've taken responsibility, now you've got to put together a plan. And for me, it was not, you know, he just took responsibility for it, where's your plan the next day? I had a willingness to give them a little time to put together that plan. But I've also said, if they don't come up with a plan soon, then the rest of us have to speak up and put forward a vision of how we're going to fix the MTA. So you're... Exact question, why didn't I choose to do that? I didn't think it was the right time to do that, honestly. Uh, I could try to you know, set a, a media fire every time there's some controversial issue. I don't, it's just not my way. I also am not gonna be surprised if this sort of picky union approach to what matters and what doesn't continues, but I'm not gonna be governed by it. Um, I think it's kind of strange to obsess over a gym routine or who's marching in a parade compared to all the things that actually affect everyday life. I just don't get it. I think people really are interested in the stuff that affects their lives. I really do. I would urge journalists to try it. Try writing about that stuff. 
You can write about it in a colorful and interesting manner, but I really believe most consumers of media want that, and when they don't get it, they go elsewhere. I guess I, I, don't, I don't want to argue about it. Having covered the city, I think much of what City Hall has always done is follow great investigations in places like, as you said, the News and the Post, while also getting beat up for things they think are silly, and I'm not sure that's always... So, but wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're saying, therefore, it is good. Think about it for a minute. No, I did, I did not say, therefore, it was okay, good. I just said that, I, I just said that it seems like you're making, that, you, that you're making a choice to have this, to ben, have this ben, fight. Ben, Ben, you're in a contradiction, my friend. You all, you, because it was, <laughs> therefore it must still be. This is, I get this all the time from the purveyors of the tabloid uh, worldview. I'm guy, not, I know you're not one of them. You're the guy with the who can't watch the F train video. I can tell you, brother. <laughs> wow, that was deep. I can tell you, uh, I am so hurt I was, by I was that. holding that cheap I shot am out just for the, uh, devastated. I'm speechless. Um, wow. Ben. It's getting mean. Ben. We had decades of a, a tabloid approach and a, a you know, rich people owning the media approach, and it did not lead to a lot of our issues being addressed, and the world is changing rapidly. And then I get people all the time that say to me, oh, you're not doing things the way they were done before. Those rules are gone, it's all changing, it's a disruptive moment, people have to get real. The media approach of yesterday does not work anymore. Why don't we update it? I think you guys did, I give you credit. I think BuzzFeed did. But there may have been rich people involved. There may be some rich people involved, but I think you guys have shown a lot of independence, to your credit, and you're, you, I think, focus on many you pertinent know, issues. But it's just to say that this is how previous mayors experienced it, so shouldn't you be used to it? Yeah, previous mayors experienced it. That doesn't mean I think it's the right thing. It doesn't mean I don't think it should change. So I hadn't expected to go here, but I mean, if, you, I, if your view is that there really ought to be a different model and the traditional model in a lot of other countries is public media, I mean, you control one of the largest budgets in the world. Are we going to see, are you going to in your second term fund public media? Uh, I like the idea. Uh, I'd need money to do it. I mean, the city of New York has more money than anybody else. No, I appreciate the point. I think it's a very fair point. Do governments have to get involved in the equation more than we are now? Perfectly fair question. I have to think about that question. And, and do, do like, does you have out there really want to work for you? I mean, that's a complicated question. Fair too. enough. But, but I would argue that the more and more alternatives that are organically developing, that don't need me to fund them, they're happening, that more and more people are turning to, should just set in motion a recognition that the same old approach is slowly losing relevance, why not try updating the approach? Now, if it's because it's a corporate model that not, will not allow for change, okay, then people should just go elsewhere. But I don't believe for a moment we have to stay stuck in it. And I, the proof is in how many people are getting their information elsewhere. I mean, I, I, we should come up with some way to survey the room, but I strongly believe that lots and lots of people are getting most of their information from non-traditional outlets. It seems to me that you guys have had a strategy of, of certainly using social media, but, but, you know, and I don't know what it is as somebody who had a local blog and tried to do this, but the scope of that is fairly modest. You have like 85,000 Twitter followers. It's not, you're not reaching everybody in the city that way. Um, and actually that the thing that where you have hit more people and maybe in a less critical form is local broadcast television, which, you know, I mean, which doesn't, I think, fit quite the model you're talking about. It just seems like the kind of old George Bush thing of we'll talk straight to local TV, we'll go around the filter of a more critical print press. I actually have been surprised that a lot of the local broadcast world, and I say TV and radio both, um, have been really interested in covering the more substantive stuff. It's not necessarily the assumption I came up with when I was coming up. It, and I remember, I think we all assumed 
uh, a set of papers that were going to sort of be the counterbalance to the tabloids, and that balance has been thrown off. As the Times and the Journal have walked away more from local coverage, the tabloid dynamic becomes stronger. The Post, in particular, becomes the leading edge. Again, I have a huge philosophical problem with that. I've been quite blunt about that in many places. You called them a propaganda rag. And I believe they are. And, uh, but I do find in the broadcast world, it's more straightforward and ultimately more substantive. It is actually the broadcast world, strangely enough, compared to, again, a lot of the assumptions I grew up with, talks about issues about everyday life more than scandal du jour. I mean, yeah, and I think, you know, as, as a reporter, I'm not sure I disagree with your critique, but I think I kind of rank bridle at the notion that the most powerful official in the city kind of gets to decide which I don't who's know legitimate, who's not. Who's I'm not, a, I'm not I mean, suggesting to decide. Wait a minute. You're, you're really... No, I mean, you're, no, it's true. You're, I you're, am you're offering expressing a, a point of view. But, you, but that viewpoint expressed it in who you choose to, to give access to, who you talk to. I mean, this was so, a great week. You gave three open press conferences, but in but the old listen, days, the mayor wandered into the press room every day. And wasn't that a glorious time? It, it was a glorious the, time. The, I was not there, but I, I was told that. I think that when we talk to any outlet... Uh, and we're getting news out to people and issues out to people is worthy. So to me, it's natural to say, where do we think we're going to have serious issues covered? If we're trying to get something out, it'll be critiqued. Of course it's going to be critiqued. It's the nature of New York City. There's eight and a half million of super opinionated people, right? I mean, it's, I mean every town hall meeting is just wonderfully... I, I, humorously, intensely what, I, opinionated, I think right? that's what you call a, a normal New York City conversation. Right. So I'm saying, said. It's I'm saying about the critique is built... Russian prostitutes. The, the critique is built in. So my point is, if you want to get news out and you want to get information out, are you going to go someplace that's going to warp it? No, you're going to go someplace you think is going to put it out on fair terms, and then all the critique and the questions will begin. We're going to take a quick break right here, but we'll be right back with my conversation with Mayor de Blasio. Um... I have a couple of questions that kind of came out of what we talked about before and I should have asked. Uh, we talked about Governor Cuomo. Would you consider supporting a progressive challenge to him next year? Uh, it's this year, so I'll give you my answer. It's this year, and we're focused on the mayoral campaign. Oh, that's next a, year, that's we'll a, come that's to... That's how the old school politicians used to dodge is, questions. Well, sometimes the they were right. old days. Sometimes they were right. <laughs> um, Melania Trump, speaking of symbolic, but I think... You know, I think it's interesting because I think I, I both sympathize with what you say about symbolism, but also think, you know, its power is also much on display right now. Melania, uh, Melania Trump is moving out of New York this week. Is, <laughs> do, do you share their excitement about that? Uh, I actually, this is an area where I honestly have my own personal values in play as someone in executive office with polar opposite views from Donald Trump. I still believe family deserves respect. I believe they had a right to live wherever they wanted to live and wherever they felt uh, made the most sense to them. So her leaving you know, reduces the security burden on the NYPD. That is a true statement. That is good. But I have never felt it was cool to say to someone, even if I polar, you know, intensely disagree, that they can't live where they want to live. Do you, do you feel sorry for her that she's leaving New York to move into that very strange White House? <laughs> There might be a lot of reasons to answer that question that are not just about moving, but I'm going to let that one go. Um, and then, and Chuck Schumer actually at some one point suggested that New York City withhold money for, from the federal, basically refuse to guard Trump unless, unless the federal government paid up. Um, I mean, it's his absence from the city, I don't know if that's made that less, less pressing, but it's still a pretty major 
Security have, burden, right? I have just a huge amount of respect for Chuck Schumer and work with him all the time. I disagreed with him on that, and I was respectful about that disagreement, but I disagreed. Um, we have an obligation. We have people come through. Obviously, we, we are the home of the UN. There are foreign leaders who come here who I couldn't disagree more, who I think the vast majority of New Yorkers find reprehensible, and yet we protect them. So it's not about politics. It's not about views. The NYPD is here to protect everyone. They don't, they don't ask a survey first before they protect you. So um, no, we're going to protect not just Donald Trump and Mrs. Trump. We would protect all the people in the building. We would protect the building itself, which is a symbol unto itself. That's our job. The good news is we got a fair amount of the reimbursement already. I'm hopeful we'll continue. And again, I think our expenses are going to get a little easier now that she is moving. And would you prefer the president stay out of New York? Again, with the clear understanding that I don't tell him, and I say it really with respect because it's also a do unto others point. I wouldn't want, you know, some people say, oh, don't go to your neighborhood in Brooklyn. I'm like, no, this is my choice about how I can lead my life the right way, stay in touch with people the right way, think the right way. If he thought coming back to New York was important to what he needed to achieve, I would respect that. I think it's simpler if they don't come back to New York. I think they've, I've been surprised that he hasn't. You know, even yeah. the one time uh, he came through was very, very brief and he didn't go to Trump Tower. I think somewhere in Trump land, they have realized that it's a tough equation and it's probably best to avoid. The, um, I, was, I had the misfortune yesterday of being on a panel that went head-to-head -head with the Comey hearing, um, which... That know, was uh, a mistake, Ben. Yes, it was. Try timing it, was it not differently. That, it was not that interesting. And, yeah. um, <laughs> and, 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 you know, people were riveted by that. And one, one thing that actually occurred to me in the context of, you know, this debate over this, this investigation, the leaks coming out of the investigation, is that you, your campaign faced a federal investigation last year. And I wonder if, when you were, you were cleared, the campaign was cleared. Um, we were all cleared. You were all cleared. I meant, yes, you're not the, I'm told the mayor's not the subject of a counterintelligence investigation. Thank um, you. <laughs> the, uh, the, but I wonder if, I don't know, if you, I mean, that process and that process of prosecutors leaking things is, I think, probably an educational experience. And I wonder if you, looking at what's happening now, have any sympathy for the people inside that building or have, I don't know, just have any, come to that with any added perspective? Um, I don't think it's apples to apples, honestly. I don't feel any connection to the things happening now because I really knew from the beginning that everyone around me and me, had, you know, we had all tried to do things the right way and it, I couldn't really understand why there was such an intensive effort. And I don't think the leaks are productive. I don't think what any of us are supposed to be doing in government is that. But the situation we're talking about now in Washington you know, I will go right to the Watergate comparison very comfortably. It, the potential, who was it the other day who said it was uh, potentially worse than Watergate? That was, which Republican Clapper, said, that? said that? Oh, Clapper, right, Clapper said it. There's no question in my mind. And I watched the entire Watergate summer of hearings. It was like this formative moment in my life. If anyone has a whole lot of stray hours, go watch, because it was unbelievably raw and dynamic that the dirty laundry of this evil administration was being unraveled in front of the American people in a way there was no precedent for. So I have immense respect for what the fight to uncover the Watergate scandal was all about. But this is actually worse because it is about the potential of people colluding with a foreign power to alter our democratic process. That's morally, legally, everything. That's treason. That's like a big cut above Watergate. So uh, I don't got a lot of sympathy for anyone who might have been a part of that. And, if, and also, I think it's shocking. You know, 
When uh, my administration went through an investigation, we said from day one to the final day, we want to fully cooperate. Tell us when and where you need us, all that kind of stuff. The President of the United States, I have not heard him once say, if there's any possibility the Russians undermined our democratic process, we have to turn over every stone to find out because that would be fundamentally destroying of our democracy. Well, um, thank you for th thanks for spending thanks for being so open here for and actually this has been like a very good week I think for administration openness in the city right the uh, I was emailing all the your the reporters who cover you because you've been very open this week so I'm happy you hope, feel hope I'm open uh, <laughs> look look forward to seeing more of that I thank everyone for being here enjoy the festival enjoy the beauty of Brooklyn. Newsfeed was produced by Meg Kramer, Eleanor Kagan, Daryl Levy, and Alex Laughlin.